It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports commerce center with Rick Roaring. Each week, we look at sports topics locally, nationally. We have a gambling segment that we will get to. Um, and certainly, uh, my favorite segment of the show, Ask Skinny Anything, where you can ask me any question, and I try to give you the best answer I can possibly give. we got a lot to get to. We're going to talk some Bengals and the weirdness of Zach Taylor, who's trying to build a winning culture despite never winning. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit uh, of some gambling, because we got some picks. I'm going to guess that we didn't do so good last week. And to start the show off, we're going to talk a little college football and basketball with our guy from BearcatJournal.com, Chad Brendel, who will join us when we restart the college basketball podcast, crossing our fingers that we will have a college basketball season. It's at least trending in maybe the right direction until we hit cold and flu season, but at least we, we think there's going to be one. Uh, so without further ado, Rick, uh, let's welcome in Chad and let's get to our topics of the day. Well, yeah, and before we even get to the questions, I guess we just start here. Chad, is there going to be a football game this weekend? What's the latest with the, the COVID-19 situations regarding the Bearcats? They've had it pretty much under control since last Thursday. So uh, I, I do think there will be a game this Saturday night, 9 p.m. kickoff. That's going to be uh, delightful to uh, to work. Um, what time but, will you uh, post Brendel's bite set? Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know that I, you know Luke Fickle mentioned it in his uh, in his weekly press conference this week. He he wasn't real happy with with how quickly the plug was pulled. Um, I think he would have preferred with the number of tests that they had if they'd have waited until they ran two tests on Thursday and another on Friday and had no new positives other than the guys that they already knew. Um, but the conference is going to obviously err on the side of caution and. They had that week open at the end of the season, so they moved the game there. Uh, but I, I, from everything I've heard so far, uh, unless something, you know, unless all hell breaks loose uh, to Thursday and Friday, I fully expect the Bearcats will be in Dallas Saturday night. Yeah, I listened to him a little bit on Tuesday. I didn't listen to all of his press conference, but I listened to a little bit of it. it. It almost sounds like he's even willing to go if he's missing five, six, yeah. seven, eight, nine players. He just wants to go play the game. It, look, man. Luke is the epitome of football coach, right? Like he is, he, they, they, he's the carbon cutout of football guy. He wants to play football. He doesn't care. I mean, as long as he has enough guys to throw out there, he doesn't care. Like he, he, and he looked at it. I don't think um, from what I know that they would have been significantly impacted in terms of who would have been on the field uh, against Tulsa. If they would have played that game, almost said Tulane didn't. Um, tall saying, yeah, tall saying, <laughs> chalk that one up for me. Um, but you know, I think he's the type of guy that just says, Look, that that if we have eight guys out, 10 guys out, 12 guys out, that's our problem. You know, cool. it's our job to have the guys behind them ready to go to go play football. And as long as we can put 22 on the field, 11 on offense, 11 on defense, like, let's do this thing. Well, I don't doubt that's exactly who Luke Fickle is, but I also oh, think the clear insinuation there was also that hey, this was Tulsa that pulled the plug on this thing. Like, we were ready to go regardless of what we had to do, and they didn't They didn't want to play. Tulsa and the conference. Um, you know, the, those they both felt safety was um, the, the right way to go about things. And it, you can't, I mean, you can't fault them for that. Um, it was a, a decent, it wasn't a massive number of, of positives. It's not anything like, uh, you know, when, when LSU went to the party over the summer and, you know, like, 74 guys on the team caught it 
Um, it was contained and it was small. Luke wants to play football. Tulsa and the, the American Conference. I think the biggest thing that one the quarterback, the one quarterback was, Tulsa wanted to play though. Oh <laughs> the yeah, one kid that mouthed off. <laughs> yeah, he's he drew a lot of. Uh, here's the problem. Here's the, the 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 error of his way, Skinny. You had a bunch of guys on Thursday that basically were told like go home. Uh, no practice, facility closed for today. Everybody get your testing in and go home. And he posted that basically right as they got back to the apartments. So they were ready for some smoke at that point. Yeah, in time. buddy. Like they, they, <laughs> they weren't real happy to begin with. And, and you've got their cornerback saying, you know, uh, this is your fault when the reality is it's the Tulsa president and the conference that, that pulled the plug on this thing. Um, now, from the Tulsa perspective, they've had like four games uh yes because of the other team right not because of anything they done but because the other team had an outbreak so i get why they're you know they're probably a little frustrated they only played what two uh, right yeah yeah and they 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 almost beat oklahoma state who was number 11 at the time and they did beat central florida who was number 11 when they played so uh it would have been a really fun game last weekend but you know i digress all right so 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 heading into this game with, with smu though how much does maybe the the extra bye week hurt uh, as much as anything else? I mean, you, you you know you had the built in bye week, you knew that was yeah. already coming, so you kind of plan accordingly. You don't plan for a second bye week here, right back to back. How, how does that affect preparation and all that stuff? Well, here's what I worry about, Skinny. Um, this team did not start fast against Army. They did not start fast against South Florida, and those are both home environments where you know things should be scripted. If you remember. Des Ritter pitched the ball right to a, an Army defender for a touchdown on the first drive of the game uh, in that game. And then USF, they turned it over on two of their first three possessions. If you do that against SMU, you're in, you're in big trouble because um, that offense can go. So I think that is where the rust part of it comes in. You, know, you cannot start slow in this game. You cannot be looking at 17-7 at the end of the first quarter because then that allows SMU to control the pace, control the tempo of the game. And UC's not a team that's, at least that we've seen so far, not a team built to really come from behind, especially against a team that wants to, I think they're averaging 43 points a game. Um, so I think that would be my biggest concern in terms of, you know, getting some rust off. Uh, but I do think this is a team that that wants to play and is a little bit ticked off um, with the way that that some of this has gone over the past 10 days. So, you know, the other thing I think you worry about on the road, Skinny, uh, to go with the rust, you're going to sit in Dallas all day. And, and that's not an easy task on the road uh, for your first road game. Nine o'clock kickoff. Um, you're going to be in your hotel room bored as hell for a long time. And it's not like it, the old days when you could go to a mall, you know, maybe go to go catch a movie at, at, after lunch or something. No, you're literally just going to be sitting in the hotel staring at the walls for 10 hours before you get to go to the stadium and and get anything going. So um, the interesting thing I do think will be there will be fans in the stands. So it'll be the first time this year that Cincinnati has had some uh, atmosphere at the game, and we'll see how that impacts it. Well, Chad, number 16 SMU ranks fourth in the country in total offense at 563.2 yards per game. And quarterback Shane Bichelle is a legit NFL prospect. He's completed 67.2% of his passes so far this year for over 1,700 yards, 12 touchdowns, and two interceptions through five games. 
What's the biggest concern for Cincinnati in this game? Is it the Bearcats defense going against such a potent offense or the Bearcats offense and Desmond Ritter being able to make enough big plays to keep pace on the road against a top 25 opponent with a big offense like that? You know, my brain's a little weird. Um, Everybody wants to look at SMU offense versus Cincinnati defense. And I do think it's going to be a fantastic matchup between those two units. Um, I look at the other one, man. SMU has struggled a bit defensively. They have a good secondary, uh, but they've really struggled against the run, especially running off tackle. That's been the area that UC has actually had some success this year in the running game is, is going off tackle. No matter how you look at it, I mean, a, a team that plays at the tempo that SMU does, a team that has the talent that SMU does, you're not holding them to to 20 points. I mean, it's it's going to be, you know, all-out war to keep them under 30. And Cincinnati's yet to really show they're a team that, that can get up in the 30s comfortably. They didn't do it against Army. They didn't do it against USF. Um, so you have to wonder, can UC keep pace against – you know, an SMU defense that has some strengths, but also has a few holes. Uh, the question I have, Rick, when are we going to see Des Ritter, the runner again? Cause we're not seeing that he's averaging under four carries a game. Is, is, um, there a, is there a fear there of him getting hurt? You think? I think maybe against South Florida, it was a concern because Ben Bryant was, was in COVID Out, right, pro- right. protocol for that game. Um, so maybe against South Florida, but like, if you go back and watch that game, they didn't run a lot of RPO stuff. They ran it probably seven or eight times, but there were three times that he could have gone out the back door and, and just jogged for 20 yards. Um, so I worry about that because it, that's, what's made him so effective over his first two years as the starting quarterback Des Ritter, the, the dual threat quarterback that can that is actually really accurate inside 20 yards that guy with the ability to run and and put a 20 25 30 yard run on you at any time is pretty dangerous desert or the pocket quarterback that that can't complete a deep ball over 25 yards 20 25 yards or more uh that guy's is going to struggle offensively so we need to see especially against a team that's weak on the edge like I talked about, we need to see Des Ritter that's willing to get out there and run and, and isn't afraid of, um, you know, maybe having happen what happened last year with both of his shoulders. So uh, I, I think that's a huge part of this game is whether he's he's willing to to pull that thing out of the running back's belly and take off uh, on the weak side. That, that's a really good point, Chad. When I talk about Des Ritter, I've always said he is a playmaker. He is not yeah. a great quarterback at the college level, but he can be a playmaker. And he's won a lot of games for UC. They've had success with him there. Uh, I think a lot of people are down on him right now, but I still think there's plenty of upside for him in this offense. But I think what you said is a great point. And this is the perfect game to get that stuff back on track. Him running the RPO stuff, him keeping it a little more often and making some plays. SMU's defense is allowing over 170 yards per game on the ground. They're giving up over 400-yard game of total offense. Uh, so I think, yeah, this you're exactly right. This is the time you need to see it from Des Ritter and that offense where they start making big plays again, and a lot of that's going to come from him confusing defenses and keeping them off the guard, keeping them guessing with his legs as much as his arm. Well, I mean, if you go back and look at that South Florida game, their end was just crashing straight to the middle of the line every time. And, and Des wasn't making him pay for it. And that's where it's it run pass option for a reason. You have to make the right read. 
handing off to a running back that's got a defensive end crashing down and a linebacker coming right at him up the middle. Uh, that's a that's a one yard gain. Des keeping that ball and and letting the end crash and and going around the edge for twenty five yards. Now your offense has some rhythm. Now your offense has some some life, and uh, we haven't seen that yet much. I mean, he he had the one where he kept it once against South Florida, ran for like twenty eight yards. That needs to be more of Cincinnati. That needs to be more involved and more of a threat in Cincinnati's offense because right now teams aren't respecting it. They're not respecting Des keeping the ball yet. Skinny, what's your take on the original question? Do you think the uh, bigger concern for UC is the defense going against SMU's potent offense or the Bearcats' offense scoring against SMU on the road? Yeah, I don't have any questions about this defense. They're not going to shut SMU you know, to single digits and probably not even below 20, but I have no questions this defense is going to get its fair share of stops against anybody it plays. Um, so, yeah, as long as the offense can somehow crank it into the mid to high 20s, I still think they win the football game. Um, it's a matter of can they do that, and they should be able to do that against a team like this. And maybe, honestly, maybe some of that stuff we're talking about with Dez is simply – you just didn't need to do some of that so far, right? I mean, why take the risk when you don't need to take the risk? And maybe that's wrong. Maybe that's pie in the sky. Maybe that's naive. But, you know, especially in that South Florida game, honestly, as long as you didn't fumble it 23 times back to South Florida, they weren't scoring. I mean, they right. just weren't. So maybe that was just safety first, and we'll let him take the punishment when he has to, when we need him to take the punishment. I would just say, Skin, I agree on that, and I think that's probably why they didn't call many of the RPOs. Like I said, there was, I think, seven or eight of them that I counted in the game called. Um, which is a pretty low number considering right. that's a, a staple. Uh, but when you do call it, Des has got to be ready. Then read it. Yeah, then read it. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Read it. That's all I'm saying. All right. Let's switch gears to the basketball side of things. College basketball tipped off last week across the country as teams started to prepare for the November 25th start date of the 2020-21 season. My question for you guys is, what is your biggest question for each local team heading into preseason practices? And since we have Chad with us, we'll start with UC. What's your biggest question about the Bearcats heading into practice, Chad? How quickly this roster can come together. Um, you know, you're adding seven new pieces, five freshmen and two transfers. Um, and you're doing so in a year where there wasn't much of an offseason. Um, for me, that that is the... The, the great unknown is, is what is this team's chemistry going to look like? What is it going to look like um, in terms of rotations? How much are we going to see the veteran guys? How much do the young guys come along um, without that full off season and John Brandon system? It, you know, that for me that, and we said this a lot last year too, because there was a bunch of new guys and, and you had to incorporate them with the guys that were remaining as Zach Taylor's learning, uh, incorporating your new guys with your old guys. Isn't always a, <laughs> an easy task. Um, so I, I think that's the biggest thing. And it, you know, if depending on how this all plays out, once the schedule finally comes out, you're going to have to win some games in those first six games before you get into conference play. And you've got a bunch of guys that, that really don't have a lot of feel for each other. You have to think David DeJulius starts. Yes. You, you have to think uh, Rap starts. So Rapolis Ivanouskis, we just, he's Rap. Yeah, you don't uh, need to me. say that. Good luck continuing to spell that all year too, by the way. Rap, R-A-P. That's yeah. how you spell it. Um, so, you know, you've got two new starters that weren't in the program. Um, it does Zach. Carvey start? Does Micah Adams Wood start? Uh, uh, you'll have Chris Vote and days. 
but you know, that's 60% of your, your starting lineup potentially is, is going to be new. And then your entire bench is new. Um, and roles are new. Outside of, you know, and roles are new. So what happens to this team in, in December? I mean, I, I guess we can say November because there's a week of November one game that we're yes. going to get. Yeah. Um, but, you know, through December, it's going to be critical for this team to, to find an identity uh, and to kind of maybe show us what a John Brandon team looks like, because I think we can all acknowledge and, and Rick, you watched him at NKU more than anybody. Uh, what we saw last year was not a John Brandon system. That was John Brandon adapting to what he had uh, to try and win games. But that's not what John Brandon basketball looks like. You know, ISO, give the ball to Cumberland and, and have him go to work, uh, put it on the glass, Trey Scott, get a rebound and put it back in. Like, that, that's not what John wants to do. Right. No, not ideally. But I will say, as much has been made about John Brandon's system, I do think something that makes him a good coach is that he, he can adapts. Adapt. Yeah, he adapts yeah. to the guys that he has as much as anything. Because, like, you look back to NKU, and I would argue having a slow-footed, below-the-rim big man who can't play full court as your best player would not be ideal. And he made it work with Drew McDonald for his entire career. So, you know, I Drew think Mc, Drew McDonald also shot like 44% from three. Or this is true. <laughs> Drew McDonald's <laughs> incredible. I'm not taking anything away from, him, but I would say like, no. it's probably not the ideal center for John Brandon to play with typically if he no. had his choice, you know? So, um, no, I agree. But I, absolutely. And, and he d- had a couple times at NKU where things early in the season didn't look like he didn't, he didn't like how it looked. And next thing you know, the small forwards, the point guard and the right. point guards, the combo guard. And um, he's not afraid to mix it up. And he, it's not like it's a, a steadfast, this is the only way that I'm going to do it system, but slowing it down and playing ISO ball is not what he wants to do. He will do it if he has to. It's not what he wants to do. All right, let me flip that to you now, Rick, for Xavier. And it feels like I think for every team we're going to talk about, it's almost the same thing with a lot of new yeah. a lot of new parts. But I'll flip the question to you about Xavier, Rick. Well, for me, it's who is the fifth guy? Because I think four of your starters are almost certainties. you got Tandy, you've got Scruggs, you've got Carter, and you've got Fremantle. So you can either slide in a wing, you know, to go along Tandy and Scruggs as the sort of your two, three man Scruggs can guard any position on the court, almost from two to four. So you can, you can be versatile there and say, you know, Nate Johnson is your two or your three, however you want to do that. Um, Or maybe it's Colby Jones, the freshman on the wing or, Dwan Odom, one of the highest rated recruits in, in program history that came in this year. He's a freshman and he's a point guard and you've already got Kiki Tandy who, who wants to play point guard. So, you know, do you give Kiki Tandy the start as a sophomore and, and the guy with a little bit of experience or does Dwan Odom get the chance right away to run the show and, and play alongside Kiki? I think that's kind of the big question right now is who's going to step up and become that f- fifth guy. And I don't know if we'll have a clear answer when the season starts. The, the staff might be, moving that target as we go yeah and i, I guess the the other part too though is um but kind of like the uc service but you also have a lot of different new roles right even for the guys that are coming back that are starting not for all but for some yeah definitely uh the, the thing was i think like when kiki tandy was on the floor last year he was asked to just go get buckets like do your thing you are our go-to option on offense and really Kiki Tandy knows no other way to play so right. it's not like he's going to have to adjust to being a gunner Zach Freeman is super confident I think the way he played on offense last year is going to be similar to how he plays on this year he'll just be playing a lot more minutes 
So in regard to those two, I think they're, they're in a similar role. The other new guys, is Nate Johnson like an actual threat, a guy who's going to contribute, or is he more like Kyle Castlin and Bryce Moore over the last few years, a, a grad transfer guy who can eat up some minutes and defend a little bit, but really not much of a threat on the offensive end. I think that's that's a question that needs to be answered. And then Ben Stanley, the Hampton transfer, there's been a whole lot of of rave reviews coming out of, of the Centaur Center about how he's looked in practices and workouts, but they don't even know if they're going to have him yet because they're still waiting on a waiver. So um, not really a question that's going to be answered through practice. That's going to be answered through the NCAA offices, but a, another big question mark looming over the Musketeers in the preseason here. Skinny, let me ask you now about Kentucky. Um, what's your biggest question for the Wildcats heading into practice now that they've had a, a couple of big well, questions answered here re- with regards to eligibility? I was going to say, if you'd asked me this about 15 hours ago, I would have said, uh, how are they going to make up for the lack of size? I mean, 15 hours ago, your biggest guy was Isaiah Jackson, 6'10", and he's only 205. Um, and so in the last uh, you know, 12, 14 hours, they got the, their waivers cleared for Olivier Saar and for uh, Jacob Toppin, um, the, the brother of Obi Toppin. And I think that makes a huge, huge difference. I mean, you now have added a, a 14 point, 10 rebound, three block shot guy in the middle to go around. I mean, they, they had plenty of firepower, in my opinion. And again, some of it's it's obviously young firepower, but there's a lot of firepower to go around it. I think for them getting that addition of, of SAR, um, I don't want to call it a gift because you just never know where some of these things are going. Um, but I think they got the gift that they wanted in getting that kid eligible. Yes. Oh, definitely. But I, I think so now that we know they have that size and I think everyone's pretty confident that he was one of the best players available in college basketball this year, if not the best. My big question for him is, is Davion Mintz really that type of guy, really uh, a Kentucky level lead your team type point guard? Because that to me now is the biggest question on this team is, is who leads this team and who runs the show at point. Yeah, and if you go back to the, the, the probably Cal's worst team was the one that went to the NIT. I mean, that was part of the issue that year. They just never had that guy. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, that, that is certainly a, a big part of it for sure. Um, but I just think there's enough. If he can just get you in your stuff, there, I just feel like there's way more firepower around them off the wings than, than they've had in a, in a bit. And, and I, I think it's going to be a fun team to watch play. And you're right. He is probably a question mark in that regard. But I just don't think you need him to do a ton. Yeah, and Devin Askew, the freshman four-star point guard coming in, maybe he'll be end up being the guy anyway, so it may be kind of a moot point. But I think because your only other option is a freshman, they're kind of relying on Davion Mitz to be a, a, a catalyst for this offense to start things. And, you know, I thought he was solid at Creighton. He sat out last year. He's a guy who can shoot, which UK hasn't had a lot at the point guard position. He can knock down a three, which will help. But I just – I don't know. I, I – hadn't gotten the impression that he had come into his own to be like a UK level point guard necessarily. So I I'll be interested to see how that plays out. I think he can be solid, but I don't know that he's going to be a guy that kind of jump starts this offense. And I'm interested to see how he handles the pressure of playing under the big lights. You also have to say more than anybody in the world, Cal is equipped to play a stud freshman point guard. If the, you know, if it comes down to it, right, right, right. And I don't have any question about their other freshmen. I mean, this is as loaded a crop as he's had. I absolutely love BJ Boston. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, BJ Boston's going to be a stud. Now, the question might be, you know, is there a is there a guy, a big guy in that group of freshmen that really stands out for them? Maybe. Yeah, because you still you still got to get some depth. I mean, Olivier Sars not playing forty minutes a game for goodness sakes, right? 
And, but there, and there really aren't options. I mean, like I said, Isaiah Jackson weighs 205 pounds. He, I mean, he's 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 long, but he's going to get bounced around. And Lance Ware's probably, you know, I don't know how ready he is either. So um, I think there, there is isn't that question. plug and play. There isn't right. that plug and play big guy that they've had. No. Seemingly since the day Cal arrived, Cousins and maybe Toppins, maybe, Noel, maybe Anthony, yeah. maybe Toppin gives you the the fifteen minutes a game you need in there, right? Maybe you don't need to do well, a ton. I mean, Keon Brooks is still an option too, right? Yeah, yeah. And that, I mean, not not a, a four than a five. Yeah, not a center, but he at least gives you a little bit of uh, front court size and and experience yeah. there. And you know, he hasn't impressed to this point, but we've seen guys make that jump in their UK careers where they disappoint. And then as a sophomore, yeah, they well, become a little call. bit more of a, of a role guy. Let's move to the last team. Let's move to NKU and, and everybody can chime in on this one. Rick, um, uh, we'll start with you. You are the, the color analyst on, on radio and congratulations. You're back again for, for this season. I don't know how the hell you're going to do it, where you're going to do it from. And uh, it's going to be a strange season in that conference where you're going to play the same team back to back, which is odd, um, but interesting for the most part, but uh, let's go through NKU. Yeah, I think for me, the the question is obvious. It's where are the points going to come from without Walton, Sharp, and Tate? I mean, as much as we made a huge deal about losing Drew McDonald a season ago, you at least knew you had a huge core that had been there, done that, and could put points on the board for you coming back, especially when you had scorers like Walton and Sharp. This year, you don't have that. I mean, you have a couple of guys who have been there in Trayvon Faulkner and Adrian Nelson, but... Faulkner, a lot of his career has been asked to kind of be a defensive specialist and a hustle guy. And Adrian Nelson, you know, we, we call him the beast on the broadcast, but he's there to rebound and, and bang inside. He's not a scorer at all. So that's the biggest question for me. And I think the two names you look to immediately, the big one is Darius Harding. He's a junior college guy, just a big, strong, athletic bucket getter on the wing. He, he made a bunch of threes last year and took a bunch of tough ones off the dribble. So I think his percentage could improve if he takes better shots. And I think he's going to be a, a pretty big focal point as a newcomer this year for the offense. And then also I'm interested to see John Harge. Um, he's a guy who sat out last year as a freshman and redshirted, but just talking to some of the guys, you know, after practices and before games and stuff like that, they all talked about, Oh, big John, he, he's going to make a difference next year. He's a six, eight, you know, 220 pound type player who can shoot from the outside. I'll be interested to see how he fits in as well. Jed, have you seen what the horizon's doing, by the way? Yeah, they're doing kind of like uh, they're playing home and away, like in one location, right? Like, yeah, you get, in, yeah. Instead of going on the road for the two games, like they've always done. As goofy as it sounds, games, yeah, as goofy as I kind of like don't it. Hate it. No, I don't either. I don't hate it. If, if it's going to get you through a season, right? I, I don't hate it either. Well, it's, it's Look, fascinating that the question is, though, how does it all break down? I mean, like the NKU Wright State series now. Where is that played at? That's a huge difference in the Horizon League standings all of a sudden. Yeah, I would say this. If you're going to do it, I swear to God, I'd, I'd have them draw it out of a hat. I, I don't know if you can try. I mean, right? I mean, I don't think, I think it's the only way you can do it. it. Right. Yeah. Right. It has to be totally at random, but either way, someone's going to get screwed, obviously. And that could make for some more fun. Maybe it'll help uh, a team that wasn't going to do as well sneak, sneak up to the top half of the conference. Yeah, like I said, I mean, if, it, if it allows you to get conference games in, I'm all for it, Chad. Look, I, I I was talking to Brian Snow last night, and we kind of half jokingly, uh, yeah, I know. Um, we we half jokingly talked about this. Uh, my favorite thing, though, Rick, is everybody thinks me and Brian hate each other. It's awesome. Um, we half jokingly like if you're if you're a college basketball coach, how tempted are you if you have one guy get COVID to just stick him in the room with everybody else on the team and go, all right, let's get this over with. 
Uh, no, I, I think I, I've talked about that during the summer of, of football teams. Maybe that's the best thing they could have done. Well, football teams, you got a hundred. Like that's a lot of dudes. I know that, but I for you me, can, I'm like, I'm like, let's get the quarterbacks done today. Let's do the defensive <laughs> line next week. Cornerbacks, you guys go sit in that room today. I mean, honestly, I think I'd have well, got it over with. Here's the biggest concern on the basketball side of things is because you know everyone has yeah. to shut down for 14 days with one positive test. Right. The big concern is that one or two guys get it, no one else does. Then a couple weeks later, right. another one or two right. guys get it. I mean, you could be shut down for two weeks at a time, multiple times throughout the season, and then all of a sudden, I mean, you just lost your entire season. Here's what I want to know: If somebody's already had as has already had it, are they? Do they still have to sit for 14 days because they're technically immune for three no, months? Yeah, or that, that, that's correct. In fact, I know that for a fact. My daughter um, at UK, her roommate tested positive for it. Actually, had symptoms of it, so they quarantine. Then my daughter and her her roommates tested positive, didn't have symptoms. They had to quarantine again. But then the guy told her, "You don't need to test for another three or four months, so don't don't worry about any of this." Now I don't know if I buy that or not, but neither here nor there. So I'm going to say probably no. I guess once you have it, you're good to go, right? Yeah. So you if you've got positive, a, if you've got a team that tests positive, but they have seven, eight guys that have had it, theoretically, that team should still. Unless they're symptomatic, right? And, yeah, unless yeah. they somehow are symptomatic. Well, yes, I, yeah, but, I'm, I'm with you. But uh, as the as the protocol reads right now, I don't think that is the case. I think it just says if you have a positive test, everything is shut down. No, I think you're right, Rick. But I, yeah, I, I'm kind of point of Chad. I think I I think I I'd have to revisit the protocol because I think that's the way it is right now. That, well, and uh, I think they might have to. I think they might have to revisit it because already people are getting real restless and saying, "Hey, this yes. doesn't make a lot of sense. No right. one else in any other right. sport is doing this." Well, I just hope we have a, a college basketball season to talk about. And, of course, we'll have our, our college basketball podcast. Oh, we're going to have a season. Uh, <laughs> or at least a tournament. At least a tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Like, at least a- they're not letting that tournament money go again. So no, I'm with you. high water, we're going to have a season. It's just a matter of what it looks like on the way to get there. I, here's my question for you guys. What do you think is going to be the average number of games that teams play? I mean, the schedule says 27. What do we think teams are going to get to? 20? Yeah, I, I, I'd hope you could get to 20. I think most teams, most conferences are going to be able to get a lot of conference games in one way or another because you're all going to be working in unison at that point and trying to figure something out. Um, I think they'll be creative to make up games if need be. The non-conference stuff, yeah, I could see a lot of those games see, getting I, I, I'm I'm going vice versa. I think you start to squeeze some of the non-conference in before you get really to the cold and flu season, to be honest with you. And then, I mean, honestly, if you shut down for two weeks, that's four games. That's, that's a, that's a big lop of the schedule right there. Well, no, no doubt. But I mean, for, for the non-conference for the high majors, you're right, because they're just going to bring in some cupcakes like most schools are doing now, uh, you know, play their games in their own little Odd. bubble world and, yeah. and not have to well, worry about anything. But then I think the, the other thing skinny, like you're saying is games will get whacked during conference play, but you'll have some wiggle room to make those up. Guys, you, you real like is this Orlando thing going to happen? You realize the rule on on Orlando, right? For the bubble? Yeah, one positive test you're you're gone. Your team's out. You got to leave. Man, that, that that's a lot of pressure. I so, and, and, so and, and especially when sometimes positive tests come back as negatives, right? Yeah. Mm. I mean, one positive and 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 coaches are going to have to rely on that in it. You might go down there, have your team be perfectly healthy, and not get a game because the other team tests positive right. and well, yes. they are yes. they are immediately ejected from the bubble. One positive test in the program is my understanding. So if you bring a, a manager down there and the manager gets it, you're out. Wow. 
Yeah, that's that's kooky. I would think this would be like the perfect time. I was just in uh, Otto, North Carolina uh, a week ago for a wedding. And if you don't know where Otto, North Carolina is, nobody else does either. That's my whole point. I think it would be perfect for an industrious person to like buy out a big warehouse AAU type facility, like make one right now in the middle of nowhere and just start hosting stuff there because I don't think COVID can get to Otto, North Carolina. I think it's completely secluded enough. Like, why are we playing this in Orlando, Florida, where people are going to be? Let's move it to backwoods, North Carolina. Cartersville, Georgia. There's already AAU gyms there. (laughs) Yeah, they have the facility. 12 courts, all college-sized courts. Like, let's let's go have us a a preseason, a a non-conference schedule, all at the Lake Point facility. I'm in. Maybe that's where the NCAA tournament will be played when all is said. The Orlando thing is just crazy to me because it, uh, you literally, you could have everything planned. Everything checks out. You get down there. All of a sudden you don't have any games and, and now you're, the season has started. So it's not like, I, I mean, I guess that's the other interesting thing is how creative is this going to be allowed to be? Because we've seen football teams on the fly scheduling games in the season. UC Army was was basically like as the season was starting, the UC Army game was scheduled. We've seen other teams where they have a game that's, you know, they find out Tuesday that the game's canceled, and, and by Wednesday they've got a different opponent stepping in there. Are we going to see that kind of chaos in basketball where teams are just bouncing around? Hey, I lost a game. You lost a game. Let's go Saturday at your place. I think yeah, that's or, possible. Or, or maybe, you know, like when, when you have a, a travel week um, – you know, maybe the team you're supposed to play on Thursday can't do it. The team you're going to play on Saturday is good. And maybe you do play them twice, right? Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how creative everybody gets with this because getting to, to 27 is going to be uh, a monumental task for every team in the country. Yeah, no question. No question. All right, we got a lot of college basketball we'll talk about down the road. Again, we'll have our college basketball podcast starting here in a few weeks. Chad, we appreciate the time. We'll catch up again, and uh, hopefully uh, hopefully UC gets a, uh, gets a game in on Saturday and keep the ball rolling. No doubt, my friends. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Appreciate, appreciate you having me. Yep, Chad Brendel from BearcatJournal.com. we still got some stuff to get to. Rick, uh, I'll let you hit the topics, brother. All right, we'll keep it rolling as we move on to some Bengals talk. John Ross became the latest disgruntled Bengals player to make his feelings known publicly as he reportedly asked for a trade this week. He joins fellow receivers Alden Tate and A.J. Green, as well as defensive end Carlos Dunlap, as players who have voiced their displeasure with the coaching staff recently. Skinny, I'll ask you, has Zach Taylor and his staff completely lost the locker room at this point, or does this stuff get overblown too much in the era of social media? a little of both um, because you've also had other players here in the last couple of days that have said that that's not the case. I think there are some isolated incidents. I think they're each, each in a vacuum to some degree. Um, We'll start with Carlos. Carlos seems to be the most disgruntled of the bunch who can't get over his disgruntlement. I think everybody understands John Ross, right? I do. I get it. You're not playing. Um, you want to play, you feel you're healthy enough to play. Um, and so I, I fully understand him asking for a trade. I don't think anybody's surprised by that. Um, Auden Tate really didn't, his agent did, and it kind of embarrassed, I think, Auden at the time, but I think it also triggered him maybe playing some more. I think AJ, and I think you saw it last week, Rick, I think he was really embarrassed by himself on that Sunday in Baltimore. I think he looked at the mirror and went, what am I doing? I'm, I'm not going out this way. And I think when we talked to him last Thursday, while he didn't admit to saying, hey, trade me, he did. He was very contrite in what he 
told us um, and, and played very well on Sunday. So I don't think he has quite yet. I think he's lost some guys. Um, and I think every coach probably does. Um, and Carlos is the most vocal of that group. I, but I would also say, and I'm not here to take up for Zach Taylor for this, but some of Carlos Dunlap is honestly, you ain't playing very well. I, I think I'd have set you probably down too. Now, I'm not sure I'd play Khalid Kareem or Amani Bledsoe or guys off the street ahead of a guy who's a 10 or 11 year vet who, who maybe has a little more in the tank, but um, uh, you know, play better. Um, and I think that was, that was Zach Taylor's thinly veiled quote to everybody, which is come, come. And I'm just doing this off the top of my head. Come fight for your job every day. Come prove to us that we need to put you on the field. And I think that's when he talks about this whole culture thing that I want to bash my skull about because I hear, I'm tired of hearing about building a culture, building a culture, building a culture when you're three eighteen and one. But I think that's some of it is I think there's a few guys that just, the buy-in isn't there and they've said, all right, we'll just turn the page and move on with, without you. And even if that means it's a veteran that's been here for a while, well, we're going to move on without you. If you're not going to fight for your job every day, if you're not going to fight to prepare every day, then we'll move on without you. And so, yeah, I, I think, I think the problem is Rick, when you don't win, that's obviously when nothing's validated, right? I mean, winning validates everything. Winning validates Bill Belichick being an ass. Um, you know, it, it just does. So he needs to start winning to continue to get or to get some level of validation. You start piling up a handful more losses. I mean, let's just assume they lose the next two, go into the bye, come out and get their butt kicked by Pittsburgh. You're going to start to lose a whole lot of guys, I think, at that point. Yeah, I guess from my perspective, like when I hear you break all those situations down by themselves in a vacuum, they all make sense to me. I can rationalize all of it and what you're saying makes sense. And it's not, it's not like I don't believe what you're saying about all of those situations yet at the same time, when you add up, okay, there's three guys in the receiver room that within two or three weeks have, have reportedly won it out. Yeah. When you talk about, okay, the, the defensive line, multiple guys on there, feel like things are, are not trending in the right direction. At least Carlos Dunlap has been very vocal. Geno Atkins just always seems like a grump and never really <laughs> happy with life. But even going back to last year, you see the way Cordy Glenn and AJ Green kind of bullied the front office and the coaching staff around yes. with how they handled everything. Like to me, there's just a level of respect for coaching staff and a front office that you, you a lot of times will have that prevents these things from happening. So from and a standpoint of have they lost the locker room, I would just say, like, it, I think it's very clear that these guys do not respect whether it's just Zach Taylor or whether it's Zach Taylor in the front office. We're right. Well, hang on. That's, not- the, that's, that's the hang on. That's the jump off point, because that's exactly what I was going to bring up. I think there's still a disconnect between Zach Taylor and the front office. But I, but think-, I think but on that point, though, I think Marvin had enough respect yes. from the guys that they wouldn't they wouldn't go against Marvin even if they didn't respect the front office. No, no, no. I think the disconnect is, I think Zach is at the point with some of these guys. And I think it was probably even with Cordy Glenn last year where he wants them gone. And unfortunately the people above him don't want them gone. They're not willing to say goodbye to them. They're not willing to eat the salary of those guys. And so that puts you in a tough place as a coach, right? If you look at a guy and go, especially let's, let's use Cordy Glenn last year. This guy is a, this guy doesn't want to play. I don't want him in my locker room. And the front office is telling you, no, we're paying him and you need to make this work and play him. That's a damn tough spot as a coach. Again, I'm not making an excuse for it. If I'm a head coach, I'm going to say, you know what, then find yourself another head coach because I'm not, if, if I can't have some say over this, it's worthless. I think that's where we're at with the disconnect for some of this too of, I don't think he wants Carlos Dunlap around. Um, and so Carlos is around and they bench him and he grumps about it. And I think at that point you go back and go, listen, I, I, I don't need this in my locker room. I'm trying to build. And we've heard the word a thousand times, right? I'm trying to build my culture. I don't want this in my culture. 
And yet you have to put the smiling face on and say, yeah, we're trying to make this work when the front office is stabbing you right in the, in the face. And that's why this is such a dysfunctional organization is the front office is so it is such a clown show from from everybody up there. Duke Tobin around it. It's a clown show that I give. I think we're going to look back at the Marvin Lewis days ago. Damn, that dude did an impossibly great job. I mean, I swear, I think we're going to do that. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I, I am not a Marvin Lewis fan whatsoever. Me I just neither. felt like it was time to move on. But I, I think you're right about that. I mean, I think he really was just well, we all knew we all knew what he was dealing with to a certain extent, but I think this just re-emphasizes yes. how bad it actually is in this organization to deal with this front office and the level of incompetence from the the people that are in charge. And 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 Zach doesn't have enough experience to handle all of this. He just doesn't. And no. so, well, and you, you're and again, thankful you're, to have a job. I mean, and, and you're not winning games on top of it. And so it all compounds itself into making you look like a clown. Well, if it was me, I ain't making myself look like a clown. I'm going to speak out about it. I'm sorry. I just am. I'm not going to make myself look like an idiot when it's idiots above me that are even bigger idiots. And I might be an idiot too. He might be an idiot for all I know. He may not be able to coach for all I know, but I think he's still getting his hands tied. And um, I think the, this whole culture talk is he's trying to buy himself a little more time and a little more time and hope that this is the week we break through. This is the week we win. And uh, look, a win Sunday makes some stuff go away, right? It, 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 it always does. Uh, I don't know if it makes it go away for a long time because then you got Tennessee and Pittsburgh coming up, but it makes it, but if not, the snowball just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling, and it's going to roll right through you to cost you your job. The trade deadline is less than two weeks away. When asked about whether the Bengals might be active this year at the deadline, Taylor said, quote, I think that upstairs they always do a good job of evaluating what's best for the team. Whether that involves trades or not, that's always talked through. And ultimately, they make the best decisions for the club. Skinny, what do you think? Is there a trade to be made by the Bengals this year? I, I think John Ross has some level of value, not a whole lot. I, I do think if, if you're a team out there, he's he's a uh, his salary this year is about two point. I'm doing this all the time about two point five ish, two point six ish. So if you trade him at the deadline, that's literally the halfway point for the Bengals and for everybody. So some team's going to be on the hook for about one point two mil. I think if I'm a playoff caliber team that's maybe needing an extra weapon or wants to kick the tires on an extra weapon or maybe honestly is down a wide receiver or two. I think I deal a conditional sixth or a seventh to do that. And especially when I'm not on the hook past this year for his money, it's just what what you're paying him for the rest of this season. I think you can get something for John Ross. I don't think there's any value for Carlos. I just don't. Um, I don't think they want to trade Gino. I think they, I think the Gino thing is still injury related. Uh, Maybe I'm going to be wrong the next few weeks. I think you will see his playing time increase. AJ is the interesting one to me. If AJ has another week, let's just say it's a good week against Cleveland. Cause there's only one more game before the deadline, um, which is Tennessee. Get another good week out of AJ. I, I got a feeling you field some offers and I think you have to take them. I, I, no offense. I just don't know how much he's got left in the tank. I know Sunday he looked like kind of the AJ of old. Is that a one-off? Is that maybe him first time shaking off the rust and it's more than a one-off, but even then I think I'm ready to just say, you know what? Um, after this year, I'm not going to pay him multiple millions of dollars at age 33 to worry about his legs or feet or, or head any longer. I'm going to let somebody else do that. And again, if you can get something for him of value, anything, and I, I mean, anything, I think I'd take that. I think AJ would have the most value to any teams out there who are looking. Still picking up a paycheck though. It's about what, 9 mil. You're going to have to pay that with Yeah. I mean, thank you. That's <laughs> that, that was exactly what I was going to say. So yeah, that, I mean, that's a part, but, but if you're a playoff caliber team, right. If it, let's say new England feels it's, it's, it's a wide receiver away from helping cam Newton. 
I, I could see them offering up something for AJ Green, right? Yeah, I mean, again, it just it all depends on whether you're willing to pay nine million for uh, half a year of AJ Green. And yes, I and don't an AJ know- Green that you just don't know how how durable he's going to be either, right? Right, and I, I just don't know that he gives you that upside that anyone's really looking for that. If it but, was, but okay, you know- so yeah, so Rick, let me throw the question back at you. So let's just assume, for argument's sake, that a team does and is willing to offer something, and I'm by something I mean fifth round at best, and that's at best. They're willing to offer something for AJ Green. My fear is, though, the Bengals still think that they want him to be a part of their organization longer term. That, oh, that's, and again, that, that's where your disconnect comes in. Yeah, I mean, I don't. If, if that's honestly what you think at this point, I don't know what, what your goals are and what your roadmap is going forward. Because really, A.J. Green shouldn't be a concern to you at this point. You should just right? be... Look, you you understand that this is your last year of AJ Green, no matter what happens, regardless yes. of whether you trade him at the deadline or you know you just split ways at the end of the season. It is very clear that this relationship cannot continue, and there's very little upside for either party to have it continue. So, yeah, I mean, the, if they're if they're worried about AJ Green past this year, they are absolutely positively stupid. No question. And that's exactly, I think, where we're at. And I think, honestly, I think that's going to be a good litmus test because I think you'll hear some things nationally about teams making offers if we hear it. And there may be no team that wants them, too. I mean, let's be clear. I don't think that's going to be the case. But I think we're going to hear at least some buzz this year of A.J. Green in the trade market. We're already hearing it, for for goodness sakes. Um, Some of it's complete guesswork. Some of it's people just trying to throw trades together for for a column, which is fine. I mean, we all do that kind of stuff. Um, But I think you'll hear legitimate buzz um, as we get closer to the trade deadline. And if they don't pull the trigger on that, they are as dumb as we think they are. I agree and with I, that. I also think there is going to be very little out there for the Bengals to trade with. Like, I just yeah, don't I do think too. there are that many people interested in what they have to offer. And that's why I go back. I think John Ross, just because of salary. Yeah, you know, you're not paying much first for round it. talent. You're really not paying much for it. Can I kick the tires? Yeah, I, and again, you're not getting much back. But again, something back beats getting nothing back, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I for John Ross, I would take a seventh round pick or whatever. I mean, I, yes, correct. I don't think it really matters. So no, exactly. All right, let's get into our betting segment where we continue to struggle. I am Uh-oh. just hashtag fade Rick B is just a, an actual thing now <laughs> at this point. Um, you're a little bit better. You're still over 500 at least, but back to back four and six weeks for you ha- are mm. starting to drag you down here. Uh, we both went four and six. I am 26, 36 and two overall. You are 31, 29, and two overall. And so we come to our Thursday night game, 8.20 p.m. Giants at the Eagles. Eagles are four and a half point favorites. The total is 45. I think the Eagles are the most complete team in the NFC East. Isn't that sure ridiculous? That <laughs> I, I said I said like two or three weeks ago on this very podcast that it is very clear the Eagles are going nowhere and not going to be a playoff team. And now they clearly look like the front runners in the NFC East. Well, you, you want to know something even goofier? If the Giants were to win this game, and I don't think they will, and I'll get to the pick here in a second. If the Giants win this game and the Cowboys go lose to football team, you will have a three-way tie between Cowboys, football team, and Giants at two and five for first place in the NFC East. Picture that for a moment. What an absolute disaster that division is. It's it's incredible. And if the Bengals win this weekend, they'd be two, four, and one, and they would have been the best team in the NFC East. Good God. Good God is right. Um, I think the Eagles are the most complete team, though. Um, you know, <laughs> Which isn't saying much. <laughs> no, and, and I, I thought they showed showed something against Baltimore this past week. They're a two-point conversion away from forcing the overtime period. And, yeah, you can't always look at a score in a vacuum and, and, and say, oh, because they played them tough, they're really good. They're not really good. I think they're clearly the best team in that division, though, on both sides of the ball uh, as, as a collective group. So I, I think the Eagles roll this one. I'll go Eagles 
I'll go Eagles 30, Giants 13. So that's the Eagles and just barely the under, the under the 45. You got a little bit of a blowout going on here. That's a, that's a reverse teaser line to get on if you uh, yes, agree it, with it, yes, it, yes, it, yes, it is. I'm going Eagles 28, Giants 20. I think it'll be a little bit tighter. So I'm on the Eagles and the over. I agree with you. I, I They showed me something last week. I do think they're moving in the right direction. And I also think you're feeling more and more confident about Carson Wentz as the season yes. has gone on at, yeah. as their quarterback. So um, that brings us to the college game Saturday at noon, which we have the perfect local slate this weekend we We've do got actually. ohio state at noon kentucky at four and cincinnati at 9 p.m spread out all across your day we will all add five pounds and lose <laughs> sleep on uh, this day. or or nap at some point during one of them yeah maybe. i think you get uh, a nap in between between kentucky and the start of uc that's fair. You could do that uh, if you're not watching the later games uh, during prime time. But yeah, all right, Saturday at noon, Nebraska at Ohio State. The line is 26 and a half in favor of the Buckeyes. The total is 67 in the hook. Um, I'm going to take the Buckeyes. I'll go Ohio State 49-13. All right, so, we're <laughs> we're right on there. So, OSU and the under is what you have. So I got Ohio State in the under. Um, you know, I, I think Ohio State names its score in this game. Yeah, I'm. I'm. T- I mean, Nebraska didn't even want to play this season. Yes, right. The so the Big Ten, after all of Nebraska's whining, said, "Okay, you're going to Ohio State to open up the year, and Ohio State will name the score." I totally agree with you. This is a great game to just bet on Ohio State points uh, if you don't want to bet the line. Uh, Fifty-two to fourteen is my score. I'm going OSU and the under. That brings us to Saturday at four p.m. You've got Kentucky at Missouri. The Wildcats are five and a half point favorites coming off their big win over Tennessee in an absolute blowout, which cost me dearly. And uh, the total is 47 in that game. Kentucky's defense is playing really, really good. Missouri um, put up uh, some pretty good points, though, on LSU. It's a tough spot. I, I wish, honestly, I wish th- this was two weeks from now because. Can I just say something, though? I think Kentucky's defense is a decent amount better than LSU's right now. Yeah. And I think if you go go look at Ole Miss, I think Ole Miss just is really good offensively. I just, I mean, I think they're, they, they, they're not very good, but they're good offensively. Um, you know, Kentucky was really good against Auburn defensively, and they've been great the last two weeks. I just think, man, the emotion of coming off that road win at Tennessee um, really has me worried a little bit. I'm still going to go with head, and in, in, in probably the heart would, would, would tell me to go way more than this, but the head tells me this is going to be a nail-biter. I'm going to go Kentucky 27-23, so Missouri covers, and what was the total? Uh, 47. And it goes over, believe it or not, 27-23 Kentucky. All right, so you've got Missouri covering and the over. Yep. I'm going Kentucky covers this one. I think it'll be a closer game, but uh, I was a little surprised to see the line only at five and a half. I guess obviously the game beat on the road is still, you know, they're getting about two and a half, three points for the road, maybe still. Kentucky 24, Missouri 17 is where I'm at on this one. So I'm on UK and the under. Uh, That brings us to the Saturday night game, 9 p.m. Bearcats are in Texas playing SMU. The total is 56. The Mustangs are two and a half point favorites in this one. I'm going to roll the dice on UC. I just, I trust that defense. I think they got enough on offense. And I think SMU is not good on defense. And I think that's the difference. I think UC is good enough defensively to get some stops. Um, It's a great defense actually, but it's a very, it's a great SMU offense, but it's a, it's a great enough defense to get enough stops to, to give UC the advantage here. So I'm going to go Bearcats 
27-24. So you see with the outright win, 51 is my total. Um, what's the total in this one again? I always 56. forget. 56. So I'm going to go Bearcats in the under. I'm with you on that. I'm going UC with the outright win as well. Um, I just I think when you look at this SMU team, yes, they are five and zero, but they allowed 24 points in the first game at Texas State, 35 points at North Texas, and yeah, right. I mean they scored 65 in that game, so whatever. But it's a lot of possessions, yeah. But, but still, I mean, still, you're giving up 24 and 35 to two just absolute cupcakes. They gave up 27 in their win at Memphis, which enough to win the game. It's not terrible, but it's still 27 points at home. And then uh, at Tulane, they gave up 34 last weekend in an overtime win. I just don't think this SMU defense is very good. And no, UC, it's not. UC's offense has had its struggles, but I also think UC's defense will give the offense enough opportunities, maybe a short field or two with some of those turnovers that their their secondary is so darn good. I'm anxious to watch the, the Shane uh, Bichelle matchup against UC's secondary. I think the Bearcats win straight up too. I'm going UC 27, SMU 20. So I'm on UC and the under just like you are. Okay. That brings us back to our NFL games Sunday at one o'clock. We've got Browns in Cincinnati playing the Bengals. The Browns are a three point favorite and the total is 50 in this one. This would seem like a good spot to take the Bengals, right? And Browns are coming off a, a blowout loss and Bengals, you know, are, are playing, you know, came off a game. They played well for a good chunk of in, in Indy. But the last time the Browns got belted around was in their opener when the Ravens belted them around. And it was a woe is us week for the Browns and Bengals. Oh, play the Chargers. Well, going to go up to Cleveland and give them a game. And instead, they got steamrolled by the Browns. I don't think they get steamrolled here because it's at home. But um, I think it feels like they're trying to sucker me into the Bengals with the three. And I just can't trust the team that's won three games in two years. And those wins are over teams that have been sub 500, right? Jacksonville this year, Jets last year, Browns quitting in the last game last year. Um, they haven't proven they can beat any team with a winning record. So I'm going to go Browns. I'll go Browns 30, Bengals 20. So the Browns, and it just barely stays under the 50 in a hook that I'm looking at. Yeah, I've uh, I've actually got the line at 50 right now. So we'll do 50 in the hook. So, okay. So, okay. You can go, so you can go okay. under there. All right, there we go. Makes it a not a, not a round number. Um, whatever I say here, first of all, you should go against. You should just fade this pick no matter what. I am 0-2 on like every Bengals game so far this year, I believe. Maybe I was 1-1 one one on one of the totals. This is the George Constanza take the opposite. Yeah, I, I, it's 100% true because and, – and by the way, last year, about week three or week four, I implemented a self-ban on betting on the Bengals for this exact reason. Just Smart because move. Uh, head and heart are, are totally off, and I get mad at the team, so you bet against them, and then they cover every damn game so far this year. So whatever I say, you should go against. That being said, I'm going Browns to cover the three, Browns 34, Bengals 27, so that's Browns and the over. Okay, we're, we're kind of on the similar tack with that game, it looks like. Yeah. Sunday, 8.20 p.m. We've got Buccaneers in Las Vegas playing the Raiders. The Buccaneers are a four-point favorite. The total is 52. I like. I, I know the Buccaneers are coming off a very nice win, and for that, I think everybody's going to jump on them with both feet financially. And so I think the Raiders are good enough to, to get this win. They're coming off a bye week, um, back at home. I think they got a great chance for the outright win. I'd love to play the money line on the Raiders here, but because of our, our purposes, it's a, it's a four point spread. I'm going to pick the Raiders to win this outright. I'll go, I'll go Raiders 27, 24. So the Raiders and it barely stays under, man, this is, this is, we have like very little separation. Fortunately, we're picking different totals here on our picks, but I'm right in line with you. I think the, uh, 
the Raiders have the opportunity here. Both teams have been playing well, but I think the Raiders being at home have the opportunity to get the big win. I think they pull off a 27-24 win, so I'm going Raiders and the over as opposed to the under. And that brings us to our Monday night game, 8-15. The Rams are hosting Chicago. Rams are six-point favorite. The total is 45 in that one. Man, I was all over. You and I, for those that don't know, we're in a, we're in a pick'em league where we pick against the spread each week and we put a confidence number on it um, for each game. I had my we had there were fourteen games last week, Rick, and my fourteen point pick was Carolina laying two and a half at home because I think the Bears suck. I just do, and yet they are five and one. And so I'm I disagree. I think the Bears are pretty good. I just don't. I, I, I they're winning games and, and kudos to them for that. I just don't think they're very dynamic. I think the Rams bounce back from that loss in Frisco. I, I think the, I'm going to go the Rams big. I'm going to I'm going to take one more swipe at the Bears here and go against them in a big way. I think the Rams defense just shoves it up the Bears' ass here. I'm going to go Rams 27-9. All Rams in the under. Oh, so yeah. So what your first game was the Thursday night game. You liked the Eagles to easily cover the Giants uh, yep. in a potential reverse teaser. This is the other game you might want to pair it with them. Skinny has the Rams 27, Bears 9. So Rams easily cover the six and that uh, stays under. I'm going to go with the Rams as well, but I think it's a much closer game than you do. I actually think this is going to be another really good Monday night game. I'm going to go Rams 24, Bears 17. So I'm on the Rams and the under in this one as well. But again, I like, I might have to do the uh, Thursday night, Monday night reverse teaser play here now off your picks. There you go. All right. Now for my 14, I'm going with a 14 teaser this week, Rick. I've been doing three teamers. I'm going four teamer this week. So I'm going to take the Rams down to a pick them on Monday night. I'm going to take the Raiders up to 10 against the Bucks. I'm going to take the Chargers down to a point and a half at home against the Jaguars. And I'm going to take the Cardinals up to nine and a half at home against Seattle. Seattle's defense is going to, to allow the Cardinals to either win that game outright or certainly make it a very tight game. Um, I do love Seattle. I think they're, 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 they're really good, but their defense just isn't in, in the Cardinals offense is good enough to, to score some points. So that's my 14 teaser Cardinals up to nine and a half chargers down to one and a half Raiders up to, uh, to 10 and Rams down to a pick them on Monday night. My 14 teaser of the week. Okay. Interesting. You uh, typically do not like to take teams down to a pick them when you do I don't. The teasers. I don't. Like, I just, I, I am fading the bears badly in that one. I like it. Okay. The, perfect. You do the NFL teaser. I've got a, a three team college football teaser to All um, right. play here. And I am going to go with, Ohio state down to 20 and a half, just uh, in case like it's plan. Yeah, it's early. You know, I think they're easily going to cover the 26 and a half to be honest, but you, you save yourself the potential for a backdoor cover there. I can't see it being closer than three touchdowns. So 20 and a half. Great. Number. I, yeah, I agree with that. You're right. Absolutely. They, it is not going to be less than a three touchdown victory. Yeah. And the, it's nice that you get it down through that 21 number here at 20 yes, and agreed. a half. So it's perfect agreed. teaser game. In my opinion, um, this game, I don't really like the number, uh, but Alabama's defense worries me a little bit about the backdoor cover. So it gives you a little insurance, at least takes you down through the 17 um, and also off the push at 21. I'm going to go Alabama at Tennessee down to 15 from 21 to 15 in a teaser. Ooh, I don't, I, you're going to get one of two things with Tennessee, man. You're going to get an angry, we're, we're, we're going to make a stand in our season, Tennessee, or you're going to get the complete, woe was us, Tennessee. That, that's yeah, it. I think I'd avoid that game with like the plague. Yeah, they're also changing quarterbacks. I can see them. They fired their defensive line coach and co-defensive coordinator this week. So yeah, I mean you're you're, you're right. But, I just yeah. I just can't see them winning this game. And I I I mean again, 
I don't love the number from 21 to 15 really as a teaser game, but I just like the game in general. So I'm including it in here. Um, and then Miami hosting Virginia is a 12 and a half point spread. You can take that down to six and a half. I don't see Miami. I don't see that game being any closer than a touchdown. So I yeah, like I don't that. That, 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 that main number before you even tease it down. I wouldn't mind taking in some kind of a parlay to be honest with you. Yeah, I, and in fact, I probably will bet it at 12 and a half, but I really yeah. like it uh, included on some teaser plays as well. So yeah, I'm with you on that again, the Ohio state Nebraska and the Miami Virginia games, two great teaser numbers, te- two great teaser games. In my opinion, the Alabama is the one I chose to include here just because I like Alabama to win. Well, this. I'm, I'm going to say this Alabama's probably, you're right. They probably are going to score 40 and, and, can Tennessee do anything offensively with the quarterback change? I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I just, my fear is that it's kind of the line of demarcation of a team season of, we just got embarrassed by a team that we always own every single year in Kentucky. And they got embarrassed. I mean, complete. I mean, they, they were booing that team in the first half. Um, so you either draw the line in the sand and bounce back in a big way, or you all of a sudden tank it. And it's funny, the halftime of the Georgia game, I thought, man, this Tennessee team's for real. Since that point in time, the last six quarters, Georgia embarrassed them, Kentucky embarrassed them, and yeah. maybe that's just what they are. Well, you know, and Alabama and Nick Saban are well known for uh, letting their foot off the gas and overlooking teams and, and showing mercy. So you're right yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right. Good. Time to move on to our favorite segment of the podcast, hashtag Ask Any Anything, where people send us the questions for you and I uh, ask them. So we'll get started right away. Back to some Bengals talk here, a little bit of legitimate sports questions first. Who is Skinny's number one choice for taking the Bengals job, which should become available this offseason, but sadly won't happen? Is it Eric Bieniemy from the Chiefs? I don't think so, because I think Eric's going to get a chance probably somewhere else. Um, he is going to get a chance. I mean, for me, if Mike Zimmer becomes available, I think I jump on it. I, I do. I, I think Mike Zimmer um, has done a really good job in Minnesota, but eventually, you know how this is. You just wear out your welcome, right? And teams need a new voice and feels like Minnesota's kind of trending in that direction. That was an awful loss they took to Atlanta. And so I don't know if Zim survives at the end of this season. Um, I'll be honest with you. If you want to, if you want to bring Mike Zimmer back here and have Hugh Jackson be the offensive coordinator, sign me up. I'm, 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 I'd be down with that. Oh my God. I will. I'll stop. I can't do it. I cannot do it. No more retreads. Why does it? But I, but I don't think Mike's a retread. Mike's taking teams to the playoffs. I mean, Mike's been a success in the NFL as a head coach. It's just, I think he's, it's the time in Minnesota. You just couldn't get him back over the hump and they kind of went all in on Kirk Cousins and it's been a disaster. And so it's yeah, time I, for him to move on. And I'll be more than happy with Mike as a head coach. I, I disagree. I would not be happy with Mike Zimmer. I, I don't, I do not like the idea of defensive minded, conservative Mike Zimmer taking over Joe Burrow in this offense and leading them forward. I definitely don't want that to happen. And I don't, I just don't want guys from past Bengals eras back here. Just new blood. It's got to be something new. Zach Taylor didn't work out, but it doesn't mean you have to go try a boy wonder with no experience. Like Eric Bieniemy to me would be the perfect guy. Granted, he played for the Bengals back yeah, in the losing days of the nineties. Here's the only thing. Eric's a hot name. And I, and I don't want to besmirch it because obviously he's an offensive coordinator on a really good team, but I, I, I've told people this too. How much of that's Andy Reid doing almost everything? I mean, honestly, probably a ton of it. But I would, but I'll take my chances with the guy who is with Andy Reid all the time, learning that and running an offense like that, uh, as opposed to um, I don't know Zach Taylor or in this case Mike Zimmer even. Yeah, again, I go back. The only thing from Mike is Mike's been to playoffs, and I think that there's a success level there. Adam Gase is a retread. I mean, why the Jets ever hired Adam Gase? He was a failure in Miami. Why would you think he'd be a success story where you are? Mike's not been a failure. And that, that to me is the difference. Mike's Mike's had success in this league as a head coach. Yeah. And now the tread is worn off. So yeah, uh, but that happens to a lot of guys. 
Yeah, uh, I agree. I just, again, I, I think he's much more of a defensive minded guy. Um, I, to me, the Bengals have to get a smart offensive mind in here. I know that was the plan with Zach Taylor. It just hasn't worked out. That was the plan. Yeah, they they, they need to go find someone else who is actually that guy. I mean, yeah, right. Okay, yes. <laughs> look at what the, look at what the Browns have done. Like the Browns are the perfect example for why the Bengals should not wait and drag the Zach Taylor thing out. You oh, can I agree with big I, difference I, I, by changing that coach right away. Now, I will say this. We still have 10 games for the Browns to go, and the Browns can brown it like any team in the league can brown it. They brown no it better question. than anybody. Uh, but, so. but would you not agree that without question, they look like a much more organized, competent No, no question. Team? Yes, absolutely. I no mean, Baker's playing it. terribly right now, honestly, well, and they're still also, finding a way to win games. Yeah, he was also playing hurt this last game. I mean, before that, Fair, they, were, but, they were averaging 38 points a game over that four-game winning streak. They were, But he wasn't were, great even during that stretch. He's no, still been but he was, sloppy. He was competent, and they were obviously relying a lot on that running game for sure. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, I'm still going to withhold judgment on the Browns until they don't brown themselves, um, and they do that quite a lot. That's fine. All right. Uh, all-time top five worst local athletes or coaches to interview. <laughs> Marvin well, Lewis is has got to be on the list. I don't yeah, know where you have him. There. I mean, I've told you Carl Pickens. Carl Pickens, I've, I've, I've number done the one. Carl Pickens story for sure. That's one of the, that's one of the worst. Is he number one? Oh, there's no question. He's the number one ass. Vontez Burfick's in that group. Um, yep. Yeah. I, mean, I think just, Gino's got to be in that group just because he won't well, talk to anyone. Yeah. And I'm, I, I, it's funny about that. The, I respect that guy, believe it or not. If that guy's consistent with that, of I don't want to talk to you, that's fine. I'm good with that. I don't like the guy who does that and then mouths off to maybe one or two guys and they're just in the right place at the right time for him to mouth off. I don't respect that guy. I respect Gino. If you don't want to talk, that's fine. I, I, I Guess what? My day will be just fine. The sun's going to come up for me. My paycheck will come. I'll do my job and I can do it without your assistance and that's okay. So I respect that guy. Yeah, this uh, also says the, the top five worst to interview and we never interviewed Gino. Well, that's so that's, it. Yeah, exactly. Um, really not in the running. I'll be honest. Nice guy. As nice as they come. Andy was dreadful. Oh, Just horrible. Dreadful. Never said a word. Never said a word. Correct. And to be honest, Joe is very much in he's not as cliche as Andy, but he is very much in the, like the Tom Brady, just don't say anything as a franchise quarterback. I will say it's been, I, I'd love to have, and I, I did not archive all the zooms. I, I, I maybe I did. Cause the Bengals sent them out to us and, and I forward them so we can put them in, in on, on our webpage um, to, to watch happy Joe Burrow before the year of leadership guy. And um, you know, very forthcoming with stuff to now sullen, uh, I realize this is my job and I hate this portion of the program. Joe Burrow has been a real interesting transformation. He's not an ass, but you can tell he doesn't suffer fools very gladly. And he's not going to answer your stupid question. If it's stupid, he's not going to be mean about it. He's not going to be a jerk about it, but he's, he's, he's changed pretty quickly. And and I get it. I think he now realizes I got to do this every week with this crap. And I got to talk about the same crap to the same guys. Oh boy. Okay. Uh, is there any non bangles that you would include on this list? Um, I, I, Tim Belcher for a lot of people was that guy, but he loved writers. He hated TV people. Um, Tim Belcher would do Tim Belcher hated TV so bad that he would either curse excessively when he'd answer questions. So the TV couldn't use it. I don't know why he hated the TV guys. He just did. Or there were times where Tim Belcher, when he'd get knocked out of a game, would write out his quotes on a piece of paper, leave it at his locker and leave. So you could use him as a reporter if you're print. I know that doesn't answer this question, but it just always was one of my most interesting things is, 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 is the way Tim Belcher handled, handled media. Yeah. I, I mean, I covered the red sum, but not, a, not, a, not enough to know guys I didn't like to interview or wouldn't interview or couldn't interview. Um, 
Junior Junior got under my skin the very first day he was here when he's like, what do I do today? I, it was the very first game. And my job actually that day was to do the junior sidebar of here's Junior's day, first day as a red. And we're standing there waiting, and he gives this turn. Well, I didn't do anything today. Why are you talking to me? Dude, it's your first game back in Cincinnati. Seriously, give me a break. Come on. Yeah. That's ridiculous. For me, some, I, some I guess say I, the grumps are bad, but like guys like Bob Huggins after a loss to me are the best interviews you can get. Those are hilarious. No question. Those are all time. It's, it's, it, it's uncomfortable, right? As the interviewer or listening to it, but his post games were must listens. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't rebound. We don't, we don't try. Chuck, we're just not any good. Chuck, we're just not very good. We're just not a good basketball team. We're just, we got, we got, go, we got to go with glass, Chuck. We got, we, 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 we don't care. We don't care, Chuck. And then it was, it was so un, it was it was uncomfortable. It was like I can't not listen. I want to listen. And then it was always hilarious to hear um, McCronin claim it was the defense's fault after his team would lose like forty eight to forty two. Um, those were always <laughs> they, gave, they, really they gave up those forty eight though, man. How did you I, do that? It was just not enough deflections. Yeah, honestly. exactly. Yeah, right. No, it always is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, any, any other names you need to get in there as the, the top five worst? As I say, no, nah, not off the top of my head. Uh, uh, there's, there's a handful of them. And, and honestly, for me, usually if you're not a good interviewer, you're just a guy I don't need to deal with. I'm just not going to deal with you. I'll just move on to somebody else. I don't yeah. even talk to you. I'll live. Unfortunately, Marvin was unavoidable. Marvin was unavoidable. And I did, I had a streak of 43 straight press conferences where I didn't ask a question because I didn't want an answer. I didn't care. Who was worse? Uh, Carl Pickens or Marvin Lewis? Carl Pickens was just, he, he was, a, he was, he was, a, he was an ass. I mean, in a worse way, at least Marvin could occasionally give you that, that I know why you're asking this question, but I'm not going to answer it kind of glean in his eye. And you'd like, okay, yeah, I got you. Yeah. Carl just was, Carl was, Carl was a mean spirited person. All so right. What was, was Vontez? Vontez was a mean, Vontez is a bad, bad, bad dude. I would agree with that assessment. Uh, on to the more nonsensical questions. Uh, All right. Starting with, Jeffrey Tubin, that's the question. Um, so why would you do that on a Zoom, right? Why would he, what are you doing? So I did see so set, a uh, set the background for people for what he did. If nobody knew what he did, yeah, he's from the New York New Yorker magazine. Where's he? I believe that's right. Yeah, he's, uh, I'll, I'll Google it to make sure he's a CNN correspondent. Yes, um, semi-famous lawyer guy. He writes for the New Yorker. Okay. So he was on a Zoom call. They were doing some like role play deal. I can't remember exactly what it was for, um, but he they, they took a little break in what they were doing during their meeting. And it sounds like he was doing some type of sex chat during the little break. However, he was still in on the Zoom, Zoom call yeah. with his coworkers. Yeah. So they come back and he like is, you know, pointing the camera down at himself, uh, cranking, cranking down right there in, in yeah. uh, wherever he's at his office, I guess, or a hotel room or something. And so they all see it. He <laughs> got, logs out of the Zoom room, then gets back in and acts like he guys, know, nothing's going on. Like, hey, 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 let's let's get back to it, guys. Back to our role play here. Um, yeah, so I did see a lady I follow on Twitter last night suggest that she knows exactly why he decided to do it during his work call. And it's because that's the only time that he can get his wife not to bother him and says, honey, don't bother me for an hour. I'm on this wow. work call. So that's wow. when he's doing his little uh, sex chats, which wow. I think is a pretty good theory. I think she might have cracked the code there on old uh, Jeffrey Tubin. I don't know if you saw the other guy. Ruben he did Tubin, it by as they call him. <laughs> Ruben Tubin. Ruben I don't know if you saw the, the other guy um, who 
who was an NFL writer who accidentally left his zoom on as he was changing his pants and, and you could see his butt in the background. No, that's strong though. But folks, do, do yourselves a favor. If you're on zoom and I, I make sure of this at all times, if you don't need to be on the camera, just hit the little X or the little line through the camera that turns it off. It's, it's safe. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Well, uh, my my girlfriend does sales for like uh, college textbooks, and so at, at times there'll be like kids that have it because they do a lot of online stuff now where they're selling right. you you know right. e learning things. Yep. And so occasionally she'll have to like answer questions, do customer service type calls with a student. And the other day she was on a call with a student, and uh, he had to like go get something like a a book, an actual physical book or something to look something up while they were on the call. And he stands up and goes, "Oh, sorry, I got to go put some pants on." So. I mean, it's just like the Zoom etiquette in our country, not the best. Um, but Jeffrey Tubin, I don't think well, falls under that category. That's he's in a whole different world when you are cranking down during a Zoom call. Like no, at it's first, funny. I thought he was like just doing it to one of his coworkers and didn't know his camera was on. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it's. Which it's even I guess worse. It's, I guess it's better. He's not just jerking to Sally's voice in marketing. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Love Sally and marketing. No, there's that one commercial. I think it's for Heineken. It's for one of those where the guy thinks he's on a Zoom call and he walks out to his patio in his in his uh, in his underwear. And it's like they actually have a real gathering for a change and not a Zoom gathering. Um, and I think that's kind of where we all are. Of you know what? Uh, I maybe need to put a pair of pants on, even even if I'm just doing a a, a Zoom chat. Yeah, I'd say just putting pants on to start your day is just a good policy. Like take your shower and put your pants on, even if you're working from home. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's uh, that's just good for mental health. Although I'll be honest with you, man, I've I'm, I've I, I've gone a couple of days at a time now without without a shower. I mean, eventually you do it, and I I about the third day of stubble, I got to shave. But man, I'm telling you, right now oh. I'm working on working on two days without a shower and 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 no I can't shave. Do that. I can't. Uh, I, I, I will do depressed. it. I'll, I'll shower today. I'd be depressed in in two days if I didn't shower. I shower mm. like two to three times a day, so it's it's like an OCD thing. <laughs> that was gonna say, that's I, really I just, OCD. Yeah, m- mental health wise, I would not be in a good spot if I was not showering. Um, that, that is a, that is a telltale sign. If you see me walk in with like, you know, my hair is too short to tell it's like greasy, but if, if I walk in and I haven't showered, that's, you know, right away, like I'm in a deep depressed state. I was going to say, you you can usually, if you catch me on any of the Bengal zooms, I usually have a ball cap on for a reason. My friend, (laughs) (laughs) there may be a shower afterwards, but it probably didn't come before. All right. We have a little uh, trio here of Halloween questions for you. Oh my, I hate Halloween. Trick or treat stories of Skinny being upset, either for not getting thanked or ungrateful kids or anything of that nature. No, it's the ungrateful kid. It's usually the older ones. It's like it's almost like, dude, you're you're a high school senior. What are you doing? Grow up. I mean, come on, give me a break. And it's the and I'm not chintzy, dude. I give the the big the big bars usually. Or if I don't, it's like two good sized bars. I did, and the kid goes, "That's it." I go, "What do oh. you mean that's it, dude? That's a full size Hershey bar. Get the hell off my lawn. Go really? bye." Really? Oh, yeah. You got oh, a kid yeah. saying that's it to a full yep. size Hershey? Yes. Yes. Wow. Yes. That's not that's not the spirit of Halloween. You got no, not at all. You go for the the crappy bite sized candies. If someone gives you a normal sized bar, you're like, hey, yes. What a what a treasure. Yes, exactly. Uh, maybe things have changed since I was a child. I mean, I don't. I don't. Know. I only you went. Want, I only went trick or treating until I was like eleven or twelve. I mean, you want to sell? Yeah, that's about the right age. Yeah. Yes. I, I can't believe high schoolers do that. And, and honestly, I mean, in our neighborhood, and in, 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 in it feels like we've all kind of seen our kids grow up and leave. And I just had one get married last week. But um, for a long time, I mean, we all had kids about the same, relatively close. And so Halloween was kind of a big deal. And we'd all kind of like, you know, two or three of us would gather at the end of one driveway and have a couple of cocktails and hand out the candy. And always, I actually enjoyed that part of it. And then 
I don't know, when the older kids would come around and then people would bring carloads of kids from God knows where into our neighborhood. It's like, okay, it, 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 I, I just, I don't know. I'm just not a Halloween guy for the most part. <laughs> not a Halloween guy. I feel like you're not much of a holiday guy. Um, I think probably, that's fair. It's probably fair. I think that's fair. It's <laughs> probably uh, fair. Well, I think I, you've just answered this question, but I'll ask it anyways. More fun as a dad handing out the Halloween candy at the house or walking with the kids going house to house? I did both, um, but I usually be the one that that because um, obviously you need one to do one and one to do the other, right? Um, yeah. Somebody had to man that in the fort, so I, I I didn't mind man in the fort with a glass of wine, kind of a cup of wine, actually be a big solo cup of wine. I'm sorry, underneath my chair on a on a brisk October night. So yeah, I was more the the candy hander outer, but there was a you know when my kids were little, just I'd walk them to a few houses just to walk with them and be a part of it. But uh, yeah, other than that, it was like all right, it's your turn, take them the rest of the neighborhood. I'm done. I'm gonna go sit in my chair and drink my wine and hand out my full size candy bar. And punch a kid in the face. <laughs> I uh, I see a, a lot of uh, families that like kind of do that as a tradition where they get the whole fire going. They got a couple mm-hmm. houses at the same house and they're all drinking and yep, it seems yep. like a good time. Like it I, is. I could see myself getting into that. That was, but now it's the stage of we don't have those kids anymore. I mean, our, our next door neighbor have three kids that are grown but, up. They're, but you can still hand gone. out, you can still hand out candy, right? Yeah, but this year I think Halloween falls on a night when I'm going to be at the Kentucky Georgia game. So sorry, kids. Saturday. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, and then finally, your most memorable Halloween costume. Uh, I, I, I will t- call myself out on this. So senior year of high school, um, a guy had a, a, a Halloween party, uh, which I decided to dress up like a girl. Full, full makeup and everything and lipstick. And at the time, the fad for my age at that time of life was drinking slow gin. Have you ever had slow gin? I have not. That slow, gin's kind of a, slow gin's kind of a ready it's reddish colored. Um, and I was drinking slow gin and I believe mellow yellow. Try that on for size. Real, real sophisticated drinker at age 17. Yep. So I, I had a few too many and my buddy drove me home and there I am uh, at home. My grandmother was watching us because my mom and dad had gone on a trip. And all I can remember was I was hugging the toilet and my sister, who's uh, three years younger than I am, she had her best friend spending the night. And I guess she didn't realize it was a bathroom that my sister and I shared. And I guess she didn't realize I was in there hugging the toilet. And this is a true story. She, she, she walked, she walked in and she laughed so hard. She peed standing up. Wow. That was yes. quite the night for your grandma watching over the household. <laughs> because I apparently, I guess I looked up out of the toilet with the red slow gin dressed like a girl. And I probably would have laughed at myself too. Walking in on a, Female version of you puking in a toilet in the middle of the night with, is just with, not I mean, something I, mean, I can really process right now. When the best part was the slow gin, like I said, is reddish in color. And I had just this giant red ring around literally my, my mouth. I, mm. I, I guarantee it made it even look more clownish than it probably was. So, yeah. The look. I, uh, uh, I, by the way, that's the last time I dressed up for Halloween, in case you're wondering. Oh, you know what? That just made me realize the last time that I dressed up was my eighth grade year. So how old are you in eighth grade? Like 14? 13, 14, yeah. Yeah, okay. So I was like 14. I was a little older. So, um, And I had a sister who would have been like a junior or senior in high school at that time. And one of her friends who was just looking back, I guess, a little bit scandalous or promiscuous. And I kind of bared out the rest of her life thinking, thinking of how it played out. But anyway, she wanted to Wait, was, was jeffrey tubin talking to her <laughs> no it worse actually <laughs> oh. um she wanted to be monica Lewinsky for halloween so as an eighth grader i went around with my sister and her friend and was bill clinton 
and she was Monica Lewinsky. And again, Whoa. I'm an eighth grader. My parents just like let me do this and <laughs> knew it was happening, which I still can't believe is a real thing. Like I bring this up to my mom at least once a year and being like, like, how could you have done a that? Terrible parent. Yeah, exactly. Like, how, how could, could you, you let this that? happen? My, my. I wore skinny. I wore like a, a button down white dress shirt, a tie that was like loosened up. I had my hair uh, like baby powdered something. So it was gray. Right. right. And then I was in my boxers with like dress socks. Oh and that's what I went around you. in. It was the most ridiculously inappropriate costume. That's almost child pornography. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really is terrible thinking oh, about it. Oh my goodness. And I still, and my mom knew it happened. Like it was totally, my, my mom was wild, son. Like she's the she, nicest lady of all time. And like, sounds like she was proud of her. But yeah, I mean, she just was buying me M&M CDs and letting me go out dressed like Bill Clinton for Halloween. Just maybe she's proud. She, she let she let you get it out of your system. You're a good guy to this to this day. So she, I mean, maybe she let you get the stupidity out of your system, right? Certainly let us make our own decisions. Just yes. an unbelievable woman. It's okay. Brenda. I like yeah. it. I like it. Yeah. All right. Another nonsensical question. Would Tom Hanks do a better job playing all of Tom Cruise's movie roles or vice versa? Oh, boy. Trying to think of Tom Hanks and Top Gun. How would that work? That wouldn't be so good, right? He can't be Maverick. Tom Hanks can't be Maverick, can he? <laughs> An old wrinkly Maverick. <laughs> Tom Hanks can't play Mission Impossible guy, can he? Um, but could Tom Cruise play like the manager in A League of Their Own? Is Tom Cruise going to be in- crying in Big Bull? Is Tom Cruise going to be in Saving Private Ryan? Yeah, I don't see it. I just, yeah, I don't. Is Tom see Cruise going to be Forrest Gump? No chance. Yeah, no, I, I think you're Is right. Is Tom man. Cruise going to be Mister Rogers? I think actually Tom Hanks would be better in Tom Cruise's movies than vice versa. Man, I just don't see Tom Hanks as Maverick. Man, I just that that one. I That's can't get a that tough one to mind. get past. That's a tough one to get past. I will say though, he's I will say played, this: I he's played Tom... Sully though, so he's done a pilot role. He's done a good, pilot good, role. Good point. I will say Tom Hanks has probably more versatility than Tom Cruise. Tom Hanks can play funny, straight. Um, he can play a guy that you just like Mr. Rogers and Sully that you can completely admire. Where Tom Cruise is just kind of action guy, right? That's what yeah. he is. Was Tom Hanks ever looked at as an attractive guy when he was younger? Because I've um, only really known him since he's been kind of older, I guess. No, just quirky. Yeah, I mean, I he's kind of an ugly looking guy, come to think of it. I don't know about that, but he's quirky. I think he's a, I think he's a distinguished looking guy, to be honest with you. Distinguished is a good way to put it. Yeah. You need. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, I'll, I'll, man, I'll go Tom Hanks playing Tom Cruise roles, although I, I, I'd have to cast somebody else for Maverick. I just would. <laughs> right. If this is a wild question to end with, um, if you could wake up every morning and on your nightstand was a DVD with all of the dreams you had the night before, but the only way you could watch them is with your entire immediately family watching as well. Would you do it? I probably would. I, I know. Really? I know everybody's going, I, yeah. I know everybody's going with that. The whole, we all have the sex dreams, right? I, I get that. Um, <laughs> we all got the sex dreams. Classic. But I, I think I would. Um, I, I, I'll be honest. I mean, I had one, I had one last night and this is, this is the truth where it, it felt so real that we, th I thought somebody was, I thought I heard our garage door open and close for whatever reason. I thought I, it was, it was probably a car door closing, right? You know how that is. And you just hear that noise and it sparks something else. Yeah. So that's probably what it was. And it started me awake. It was like five o'clock in the morning. And I sat there for a second. I thought Did somebody just come in our house. And I sat there and I sat there and we have a, a motion light kind of down the hall. It's really for the dogs when they want to walk back and forth 
and for us too, if you want to go out to the kitchen, get a glass of water, whatever. Um, and I, I literally sat there for like 20 minutes going, all right, the motion light comes on. I, I, and I have a, I have a roll of tape, a big roll of tape, believe it or not, on my nightstand. Don't ask why, but I do. And it's pretty heavy. And it's not a roll of tape. It's actually one of those things that you put the tape in. So I had it in my hand. I was going to bash somebody's skull in if they'd come down the hall. <laughs> but then it's, you know, <laughs> better reason came to nobody's in our house. So I go to bed. I fall back asleep for about an hour because I woke back up startled at 630 by my dream, which was my dream was somebody had broken into my house. It felt so real that I told my wife to call 911. It was so real that we have one of our two dogs. She likes to, as soon as you're up and moving, she likes to go too. I actually dreamt that she cut off, cut me off to run down the steps like she always does. It was her to a T in my mind. I went downstairs out to our garage and then, and then somebody was in there and I had to battle them until I woke up suddenly started every, like my hallway felt real move down. The step felt real. The move, the garage where I have to go in to open the door and then another door to get to the garage felt real. I mean, it all was just so real. I would love to wake up and just, I'd love to put that DVD in and look at it and go, Whoa. You know, you know, what's wild about that is that you dream like your house to be exactly the same. Cause what yes. I do a lot is I dream. The only thing was, is it was, we have one part of our garage has a bunch. We need a, we need a storage unit for it. To be honest with you. It's got a bunch of my oldest daughter's stuff. She bought a house about a year ago, just got married over the weekend. So we still have a bunch of stuff on that side of the garage. The funny part, the only part that I remember kind of chuckling in when I woke up was that the garage was completely cleaned out. And I went, Haha, that would have been nice. That was, that was the real goal of the dream. It just wanted a clean maybe. garage. It, like, hey, it might've been, hey, it might. Yeah. Maybe someone's going to invade maybe maybe not like someone's going to rob you but they're just taking the crap out of your garage and cleaning it maybe it was actually yes. just like the uh maid service that was in they were just cleaning it was it was a uh, got junk 1-800 got i junk. wish I, I wish it was i wish that was the case then the other one i've told you i have about once a month and we live close enough to the airport where i can hear the jets and they don't go completely over my house but by god if i don't dream they're about to hit my house at least once a month Is and i literally the- can I literally look up in my dream. I look up in, in, and you can't do this. I look up at my ceiling and can see the outline of a plane going over my house multiple times. Yeah, you're right. You can't do that. Uh, Correct. Is, is that your like your worst dream that you've had? Your your least favorite dream? Yes. Like a recurring yeah. one? Yeah. I mean, because I, I, I literally do. I'll wake up in like a sweat. Like, and, and I can, there's, it, my daughter taught, my youngest daughter's talked about this before. And I, I, I never realized this. It's that paralyzed feeling where you can't wake up and you want to wake up. Right. And I have that because I'll, I'll hear the sounds of the jets, I guess. And I'll keep, I guess, still sleeping through that when I'm really wanting to wake up and I can't, and I feel paralyzed to wake up. And then finally you do. And you're like, gosh, you're so damn irrational, but you just do. I used to dream all the time back in high school. And I think it started in grade school even. But Yeah, I dreamt about Cheryl Ladd a lot back in high school. Those <laughs> dreams, I don't know if they'd be good today. I'm sorry. All the time back in high school, I used to dream about going through my entire school day. And I like it was vivid. Like I'd have conversations with friends. I'd go to lunch. I'd go to every period. Really? And then my mom would wake me up and it'd be time for school. It was the most exhausting thing that ever happened like i thought it was a serious psychological issue for a little well because it was like i I was exhausted when i'd wake up it's so funny my last i I got out of college in four years despite switching majors and i'm not here to pat myself on the back i just want not to brag no i i I just want to get the hell out is really what i wanted to do i wanted my degree and and move on with stuff but my last semester dude was literally it was i i probably played basketball every night pick up basketball and um, just hardly ever went to class that last semester and ended up pulling a one eight and, but I passed every class and got my degree, but I do have this one every once in a while. The, the, I, I, I still have one more 
class, three credit hours to go, didn't get my, my degree. And it's always a Spanish class, which is weird because I stopped taking Spanish my sophomore year and got straight A's in Spanish. So I don't, I don't know why that's the one class that's preventing me and my dream from getting my degree. That but is strange. I, I have that one all the time that, my gosh, I didn't graduate. Oh my gosh, I'm three hours short. I don't know what difference it would have made today, but I still have that dream. Yeah. Circling back to the original question, there is no chance I'm in sure you wouldn't hell guess. I would watch my dreams with my family. I, I To be honest with you, I don't know if I want to see that by myself. Like I, I dream about some messed up things. I like, I have scary dreams. I have like most embarrassing of moment of your life type dreams. I have uh, a lot of things that aren't good. A lot of things that are unsavory that I wouldn't want my family seeing for sure. Listen, I just, everybody's got the unsavory dream, right? Yeah. Everybody. I just can't imagine watching my dreams with anybody else and having to explain them. Like what brought you to that point? And I'll, I have no idea. No idea yeah, why she see, was there. I'm so goofy. I'm just curious enough to see how real it would be. That's all. Well, it sounds like yours you could sell to uh, Steven Spielberg and make into I a know it. picture. Dude, I know it. Planes crashing into your house and the action I, scenes of you battling. The, there's a part of me, if, if, if I get guy. to the stage where I would, I would have time to go do a dream study, I think I'd do it. I swear I think I'd do it. Uh, oh, I'd love to do a study, but I don't think I'd like to watch my dreams over every night without any idea of like what's going on. <laughs> I just don't think that'd be good for anyone. So definitely not uh, the rest of my family. Yeah, well, that's good. That's, uh, see, I think I'm, I'm just too curious. That's a good question. I love that question. Whoever asked it, that's that's well done. That's a that's a good question. Also, I'd be like embarrassed at the amount of times they just see me dreaming about me screaming at a team not covering or something like that. <laughs> Screaming at a bat, yeah. about a bet not covering in my dream. That would be entirely that's good. That's, yeah, that's a good call, too. That's a yeah. good call. All right. Thanks to Chad Brendel for BearcatJournal.com. Uh, for Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. Again, keep the questions coming. We try to backlog some of these. So if your question didn't get asked, I know Rick saved some of them to, to backlog them. So we do appreciate all the questions. We just try to get to a few on each of the podcasts. So thanks so much. This has been the Skinny Podcast, weekly, hopefully, edition.